I love being a dad. I love being a husband as well. Um, I remember years and years ago, I, I think Jenny Rose was like three years old. And she had gotten sick and she needed to take these pills. And we called them horse pills because they were just so huge. And I asked her, do you want me to break it in half? She says, no, daddy, I'll swallow it all whole. And so I gave it to her and she started to try and swallow. And she says, daddy, it's stuck right here where Jesus lives. And you hear those words and as a dad, you know. Oh, your heart just breaks. Just so awesome, wonderful, adorable. I've got a few other quotes from children I want to share with you. Uh, Some of them, I'll I'll mention their names, but they're all young. Graham asks his mom, he says, everyone in my class wants to be a doctor. His mom, he says, really? What do you want to be when you grow up? And Graham quickly responds, a cheetah or a pig. Sophia, she's age three. Mommy? I'm not joking, I'm not kidding, I'm not playing, I need chocolate. (laughs) Three years old? Ashlyn, age six. It was fun being famous on my birthday. I'm sure that if Cooper could say that, he would. Jonah, age eight. What if the police lied and, and turned on the siren, but he was really just going to get a taco for lunch? Mm. Hannah, age six. I really wish I had some yoga pants, even though I really don't do yoga. Kind of like mom. <laughs> Royal, age four. I, you have to understand, sometimes kids get words confused. They say one thing, but they're really meaning another. Age four. He, uh, Royal asks, are you taking the stairs or the alligator? You're going to think about that one, aren't you? Hannah, again, age six, says, I think I'm going to be good for the rest of my life. Well, except when I make mistakes. But we can blame that on my emotions. Age six, really? And then Luke's, Mama, when was I born? And his mama says, February 17th, 2009. And Luke says, hey, really? That's my birthday. Yeah, what a coincidence, isn't it? Little boy is speaking to an evangelist after a, a revival meeting. He says, sir, if Jesus is so big because he's God and I'm so small, if I ask him into my heart, won't Jesus stick out? The evangelist says, and that's the whole point now, isn't it? Isn't it, church? Isn't that what serving Jesus and following him is so that Jesus sticks out, right? Amen. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. Sometimes there is profound wisdom on the lips of a little child. Um, As we have been seeing, the purpose of our transformation as Paul's laying it out here for us in the book of Romans, such as the old man being crucified, that we are dead to sin, that we're no longer under law, By the Spirit, we are presently putting to death the misdeeds of the body, the fact that we have a new nature, all of these things. The purpose of this transformation is to show Jesus to the world. The purpose is that Jesus sticks out. 
In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I am still walking in a growing knowledge to this day of what that verse means. I have been crucified. Mike Curtis has been crucified so that Christ lives in me. Christ is sticking out. Christ has accomplished our salvation, church. Amen? Christ has accomplished our salvation, but it is the Holy Spirit who applies salvation. And this is what we're going to see a little bit more and more. You know, as, as Christ did everything that he could and that was needed to for our salvation on the cross, risen up from the grave, ascended to the Father, sits at his right hand, and seated there, we now have the privilege of being seated with him. It is the Holy Spirit it at work on this earth today that calls the sinner to him, that convicts the sinner of their sin and shows to them this incredible grand truth that they cannot get right with God apart from what Christ accomplished on the cross. And as the Spirit is working in us, it is the Spirit then, by faith of the believer, comes in and does extraordinary things in this believer's life, transforms them. I mentioned some of them already. And I want us to look, as we go through more of chapter 8 of the book of Romans, what the Spirit has done and is doing for us. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, now again to, to Romans 8. And could we put that picture up, Josh? I mentioned the story of General Wainwright, and we have here a picture that is General Douglas MacArthur signing the papers of surrender. The, uh, the Japanese general has already signed, and now General MacArthur is signing. And behind him to his left is a general from Britain, and then to directly behind him is General Wainwright. You can see how thin he is. Five years, a captive in a prison camp in Japan released five days after surrender, and here on September the 2nd, almost two weeks after he was released from that prison in Japan, he now stands behind General MacArthur. Now, I mentioned to you that his fear while he was in prison was that those in America would view him as someone other than a hero. As someone who just gave up, who surrendered, which he did. And he was very concerned about how he would be viewed in the public eye. And this here, this picture, what General MacArthur did, and having him stand directly behind him, is a picture that I want us to see of what Christ has done for us. Christ accomplished salvation. The Holy Spirit now is applying that in our lives. But you see, Wainwright felt that he had failed, completely failed. And when he heard that back home he was actually viewed as a hero, he was completely taken back. General, Wayne, General MacArthur made sure that his reputation was preserved. You see, it was General MacArthur that set the tone 
for how anyone would view General Wainwright. Can you only imagine what would have happened should the war have been lost? Should General Douglas MacArthur not have gained the upper hand? But, as Providence has it, U.S. did win. The Allies, I should say, did win. Japan surrendered. You see, Christ, even though we have failed, because we are sinners and under law, there is absolutely no way that we could get right with God. We had completely failed. There was condemnation. And the more we learned the truth, at least before we came to Christ, the greater the condemnation, the greater the burden and the desire for us to, 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 to see our situation changed. And you can only imagine General Wainwright for five years wondering, is this the end of my life? Could this be the last day? And of course, we know it was not. And Jesus, by what he did on the cross for you, he rescued you from all of your failure, all of the deserved condemnation. I underline and emphasize that word deserved. We deserved it, church. We were lost. We were God-haters. And if we didn't say it, we lived it that way. We were rejecting Jesus and the good news, and we said in our souls, I want it my way. And Jesus eventually, by the Spirit, applying the cross to our lives, won us. Won us. He won your heart. Your heart at some point, it changed. It was broken. Your eyes were open and you received Jesus Christ. You believed in him and you became a child of God. And that's where we're going to be going with this in Romans chapter 8 here. You see, Jesus, even here, General MacArthur really was the hero, but he had General MacArthur standing behind him, sharing in that glory. Do you see the picture now? You see, Jesus is the real hero. He's the real heir of the throne, if you will, yet he has called us to be co-heirs with him. Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature or the flesh, as some versions read, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's the first thing that I want us to see here. We kind of referred to it last week, except last week I made sure I emphasized the fact that it was the Spirit of life. You see, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were lost, we were without hope and without God in this world. And the Spirit of God, when we believe, when we received Jesus, we received, as it says here, we received the Spirit of Christ. And when he came into you, he did not leave you. He didn't just do his work and move on to another person to win them. He took up residence in your life. The Spirit of God lives in every single believer in Jesus Christ. Now, this is probably not news to most of you, or maybe not to any of you, but I want us to reflect on this truth that it is God who lives in you. You were dead, and the spirit of life came into you, and he resurrected you from your death. 
Eyes were opened. You, you have been transformed. You have, you have forsaken the old man, the old way of life, the, the old things. And behold, Paul says, all things are become new. You are new. A new nature. The Spirit God of God birthed that because why? He is the Spirit of life. All life. Everything about life in this universe, regardless of what philosophers or liberal theologians or anyone else says, according to the word of God, all life flows from the spirit of God into you and through you. Because God, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no life. Apart from Jesus. Remember, Jesus accomplished what? Salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies salvation. And so when the Holy Spirit of life came in you, he transformed you because of what Christ has done for us already. So the Spirit of life has come into us. And it says that now we walk in this life and we do it by the Spirit. Remember where it says, verse 14 excuse me, verse 13, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You see, this is an assumption. This is a work of the Spirit. This is a truth. It is happening. You can either choose to cooperate with the Spirit and kind of, if you will, speed things up, or you can resist Him. That, that choice is you, and it boils down to that one word that we looked at in Romans 6, offer. Offer yourselves, present yourselves like an offering. Yield to the Spirit. This is the essence of faith, church. So when we believe in Jesus and we receive the Spirit, the rest of the Christian life is not up to me. It is not a bunch of my willpower. I am just going to overcome. I will pull myself up by the bootstraps. I will do this thing called the Christian life. If that is your goal, good luck to you, by the way. You know, the, the, the essence of self-control is the control of self. It doesn't mean that self is in control. So self-control really is spirit control, isn't it? Spirit control of self. And the more we yield to the spirit, we learned, the more the spirit of God transforms us. By the spirit, putting, present tense, putting the misdeeds of the body, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. You know, you, the, the, we looked at Romans, excuse me, Galatians 5, and there in Galatians 5, we, we learned numerous phrases. We're, being, we're walking in the Spirit. We're being led by the Spirit. We're keeping in step with the Spirit. We're walking, or, or rather living by the Spirit, and, and these various things. And in that context, it talks, the de it talks about the deeds of the flesh, but it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Can I just remind us of something here? That, that word fruit is in the singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. There is one plant with many branches. There is, if you want love, you can pray for love. But can I just give you a little secret here? What you're really praying for is more of the Spirit. Is that not true? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. So if love is going to be produced in you, guess who has to do it? Who, Mike Curtis? 
No, no, forget about that. No, the Spirit of God has got to do that in me. And so the fruit of the Spirit, though I'm asking for and praying for more love, that's a great prayer, but just understand what you're really asking for. You're really asking to be filled with the Spirit. You're really asking to keep in step with the Spirit. As we moved on through chapter 6, we came across this concept of sowing to the Spirit. Not sowing to the flesh, but sowing to the Spirit. And we realized earlier in the chapter 5 that the Spirit and the flesh are at odds with one another, battling, if you will, it says, at war. And this conflict that takes place can be resolved by simply sowing to the Spirit. Now, someone brought up a very valid question, but what happens when we really don't want to sow to the Spirit? What happens when we, we know we need to be saturated with the Word and worship and prayer and all of these good things and thereby feed the Spirit, but what if we don't want to? And so here's my challenge to you, because that has happened to me. And I've heard it say, pray when you want to, pray when you don't want to, but pray until you want to. And I'm just going to encourage you. You will find every source of everything that you need in the Spirit but when there is resistance, I have found only one solution to that. God, please change my heart. Please change my heart. When I was, up until I was 14, I went to church all of my life. And I'm not saying, I mean, I didn't want to. I wouldn't recommend not going to church, even though you don't want to. But here's what I would recommend that you do. God, as I go to church today, and I don't want to, would you change my heart? Because that's really what the issue is here. That's really what the issue is here. So the Spirit of God needs to daily win our hearts. Daily win our hearts. Because that is the battleground. God, I want my desires to be in line with your desires. You know, in, in Psalm 37, it says that those who delight themselves in the Lord they shall be given the desires of their heart. You see, here's how this works. It's not that your desires for that Lamborghini or whatever really nice car that's on your mind and on your Christmas wish list. I'm not sure who you're going to give that Christmas wish list to. Please don't give it to me. Um, but that may very well be and more than likely be a desire of the flesh. But you see, the more we delight in God and the Holy Spirit starts changing us, he's going to change our desires as well. And our desires will come under the lordship of Christ and we will begin to desire the very things that flow from the heart and desires of God. So that when I say that God will meet the desires of my heart, it's really because he put those desires there to begin with. Why? Because I am delighting myself in the Lord. So that's how this works. I, I want to delight myself in the Spirit, and when I am not, I am asking God, then change my heart. And it, all will, it will always go back to that word offer, surrender, yield. And that word that Paul uses throughout the book of Romans, faith. That's what this is about. And so when the Spirit of God takes up residence or before the Spirit of God takes up residence in us, the world 
with you know all of their desires to i mean th- the world i don't know what it was like for you before you became a christian for me i wanted to be good i wanted to do the right thing there are actually some decent movies out there not put out by christians in which they they actually depict decent character qualities the theme of the movie is actually admirable there are people many people in this world that truly want the very things that we're talking about here. But the world offers a different solution. Sin problem? They don't call it that. You have problems? What you really need to do is you need to get more education and be a better you. Hmm. Like that one, huh? I just need education. That will solve my problems. Go to Books a Million. Get one of the top books in the top 10 best-selling booklets. You know how they're set up there. 10 best-selling books. You just purchase one of them. That's what you need. And the more information that you get, you're going to become a better you. Or you can go to a neighboring community college here and become a better you. That's right. At least that's what they're telling me. You see, Jesus has a different solution. And, and then, by the way, I'm not saying don't get an education. I'm not saying that. But you will not become a better you. Be positive, think positively, and you will become a better version of yourself. No, no, you won't. Because you are dealing with a heart that is in rebellion against God, that is resisting God, and it is that that needs to be broken. Accept yourself for who you are. Well, who are you? Paul tells us you're a slave to sin. Paul tells us that you're trying to do this on your own effort under law, compelled to try and obey God apart from the power of God. What? Really? We are enemies in our hearts, in our minds, because of evil behavior, Colossians 1 says. How on earth is an enemy going to get right with his enemy? The opposing force. You see, the heart must be changed. A surrendered heart to Jesus is the only means of salvation. Believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, Romans 10, 9, and 10. You see, a surrendered heart to the Holy Spirit to work in us, we do that by sowing to the Spirit. I want you right now to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. The world offers a solution, and all it does is bring condemnation. Brings a sense of failure because the world's solutions do not work. They do not work. There is only one solution, and that is found in Christ, applied by the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, "Do Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, we, individually, corporately, we are the body of Christ. The spirit, we are the temple of God. The temple of God houses the spirit of God. We were purchased for this very purpose that God would take up residence in us. And he did that by purchasing us, that we are his very own. God lives in you. Can I just ask you this question? If we really got this principle, God God lives in me. If you really got that, that God lives in you, really got it, 
How would that truth impact the way you live? We see an illustration of this all the time. The woman who is married, very active, cleaning, moving boxes and heavy things around, and in the second month, she realizes, I'm pregnant. How does her life change? How does her husband make her life change? Okay, no, 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 don't pick up that heavy box. I got that one for you. All the standing on your feet, you need to relax, hon. I'll do this. And her life changes. She realizes there is this precious baby in her womb, and her life changes. She eats differently. She sleeps differently, exercises and works differently. Her life changes. And in that very same degree, does not our life change when we truly get this truth that God has taken up residence in me? Now, I've shared this illustration before. I'll share it again, but briefly. Once a month, when I am depositing checks and doing various bank transactions, I still do that in the bank and not online. Um, but when I go into the bank, I get a withdrawal. And we still use cash, honestly, to, to purchase groceries. We don't put it on uh, credit card, et cetera. We, we do cash. So that way, hey, no more cash. Hey, we're going to fast in a couple of days. Now, my wife is much better at that, and she, she plans things out better. But that's, we've just done that for years and years. And so I'll get our grocery money. That's feeding a lot of mouths. That's a lot of money. I grab that money. I look around the bank as I'm leaving, and I make sure that nobody is following me. I walk outside, I am looking around. I get in my car, and the first thing I normally do is turn the engine on. But the first thing I do now is I lock the door. Then I start the car. Why? Because of what I'm carrying. How would a knowledge of the truth that God lives in me change your life? <clears throat> See, what you carry inside of you, when you grasp it, it changes you. I want you to want to ask you this. This as an illustration, how would you respond? But this young lady, a teenage girl, about 18, 19 years of age, her grandmother is having a nice conversation with her. And in the process, in the in the midst of this conversation, she reaches into her purse and pulls out. Uh, a rather large, kind of bulky ring, but nice, stylish. She likes it. It, it looks old and it looks pretty cool. And the, and the grandmother says, sweetheart, I want you to have this. And she puts it in your hand as an 18, 19-year-old girl. And you look at it. And you kind of put it on. Well, right hand, sorry. Put it on. Wow, cool. And you thank your grandmother, and she says, you take care of that ring, okay? Very precious. And so you, you go about your activities, and you're playing basketball, and the ring 
you know, gets banged around a bit, and, you know, you do gardening, and dirt gets in the ring, and, you know, you also do dishes. When you do dishes, one of, some of my girls do this, they take their ring off, and they put it down, and after dishes one day, the grandmother's visiting, and she sees that ring laying next to the sink, and she picks it up, and she says to you, sweetheart, you can't leave this ring around, and she's acting rather frantic, and you're thinking, Wow, this is like a really big deal. Okay, Grandma, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot I left it there, and you put it on, and she looks at it, and she says, Sweetheart, you need to realize that this ring came from your grandmother and that she received it after her mother gave it to her and her mother gave it to her, and that ring goes back 10 generations for when the king of England gave it to the Queen of England on their wedding day. Can I ask you this? Armed with that truth, how would you treat that ring? You'd probably take it off. You would probably put it in the bank storage. And I don't want to touch that. But now it looks corroded and you want to clean it up. Don't you treat that now with such a, a, a delicacy and a preciousness? because it's no doubt worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're carrying it on your finger <laughs> and you're gardening with it and you're banging it around like who cares? You see, I, God wants you to care about the Spirit of God living in you. And, and I want you now to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 because it, it takes us just one step further with this idea of the Spirit of God living in us. I believe a couple of weeks ago I read it. I'm going to read it again. And it says here in verse 13, Ephesians 1.13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the Spirit of God has sealed you. He is a deposit. And, and when it says that he has sealed you, it, that seal is not like, you know, how you seal Tupperware or how maybe you seal uh, uh, something in which you kind of strap it down. It's, it's sealed this type of seal does not mean locked in. This type of seal is a mark of ownership. Now, you've probably seen the seals of kings on letters. They would drip some, looks like crayon, honestly, colored wax on a sealed envelope, and then they would press their signet ring into it. And that would be his mark that this letter is only to be opened by the recipient because it has the seal of the king. And that seal can be broken by only one person, and that's the recipient. This is from the king. And that seal, the Holy Spirit, is that seal of, of ownership upon us, upon you as a believer. That is a mark of God upon your life that God owns you, and you are his, and you are precious to him. But it doesn't stop there. It says that you are also, he is also a deposit in your life, and it's guaranteeing your inheritance. See, 
Today, you have received or you have an inheritance, but you have it in part. But when you, were, when you enter into God's eternal heaven, you will receive that inheritance in full. And so the Holy Spirit is that deposit, and it grants you a partial inheritance, in essence saying this, there is more to come. And that is his promise. Now, Romans 8, turn back there with me if you would. Romans 8, words it just a little differently, but it's basically saying the same thing. And in verse 14, excuse me, verse, um, yes, verse 14, it says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of, a, of sonship, that word is, is also translated adoption. You were adopted. Spirit of adoption, of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, a slave has no right to any inheritance. It would have been highly unusual for Abraham, when he had no children, to give the inheritance to a slave. But there was no other option. With no child, he would have to do this, but it was highly unusual because slaves just do not they're not a part of the family, and they do not receive an inheritance. Now, why am I talking about a slave? Isn't that what it just says? You, you have not been given a spirit of slavery, because you once were slaves, by the way. You've not been given a spirit of slavery again. You're not slaves again. No, you're not. It doesn't say a slave of what. It's not a slave of fear. It's actually a slave unto fear. The only slavery that we have been talked about that's negative is being a slave to the law or being a slave to sin. And being under condemnation, that stirs up fear. So this type of slavery is negative. It's under fear. And that is not the spirit that we've been given. We have been given a spirit of adoption. And so here's how it works. If you turn with me to, to John chapter 1, verse 12, we kind of see it laid out a bit there in which the Spirit of God does something marvelous, absolutely necessary in order for us to become children of God. Now, it says here in chapter 1, verse 12, it says, yet to all who received him, referring to Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will. In other words, this is not a natural birth. This is a spiritual birth. He says, but born of God. You see, you have been born of God. This deposit of the Spirit, when you believed, you received the Spirit. You were bought, and consequently, the Spirit changed you. You are no longer a slave. You have been purchased as a slave, but now received the adoption of sons. 
Now, can I confess to you, I've not seen, uh, excuse me, I've not read the book, Ben-Hur. I've only seen the movie, Charlton Heston. Great job, buddy. But what I understand, he was a slave and an army general, if I'm not mistaken, or some ranking officer, because he saved his life, adopted him. A slave adopted him to be his own son. And as a result, Ben-Hur received an inheritance. That's you and me. You see, we were slaves purchased by God and the Spirit of God did something marvelous. He changed you from death to life and the Spirit of life birthed something in you. And because of what he birthed in you, you have become children of God. Granted, on the one hand, you have been adopted because Jesus is the rightful heir You are like General Wainwright standing behind General Douglas MacArthur, receiving applause, not just MacArthur, but you as well as General Wainwright. You have been adopted, but there's something amazing in which it says here in John 1, it says that you have been born of God. On the one hand, you've been adopted the slave adopted as a true son, but on the other hand, it says that you were actually birthed by God. You know, when a mother and a a husband, a father, when they are joined together and they produce this wonderful thing we call offspring, they receive something from us. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Katie Beth was three years old. Her closet was a mess. Said, sweetie, you need to go in there and clean up your closet. She did a super job. Daddy, daddy, I'm all done, I'm all done, come. She grabbed my hand, she led me into her closet, and it's a wide closet, not too deep, but wide, that kind. And it was awesome. And as I looked on the floor, she had numerous pairs of shoes. See, some of them were too small, waiting for her sisters to have them. Some of them fit her great, and then others she was going to grow into. Probably eight, nine, ten pairs of shoes, I don't know. And they were all arranged from smallest to largest. And I looked at it and said, sweetie, that is so awesome. But what I was really thinking is, I am so sorry that you got that from me. And she has her daddy's DNA. And I am a detailed person, and she is too. But I am so grateful that she also received DNA from her mother, and that's why she is so sweet. And so you have received the DNA of God himself. You, therefore, do not walk about in this old nature because the spirit of life has come into you, you're now his child, and he has birthed in you by the spirit, the spiritual DNA, and that is what begins to change you. You now have the privilege of reflecting him. You start looking like Jesus. Ladies, you won't grow a beard, trust me, okay? I'm not saying that. But you will look like Jesus. You will begin to reflect his love. You will begin to reflect his peace. You see, Jesus taking up residence in you is God himself. And so we are reflecting him. We are looking more and more 
like our, as Scripture calls him, our elder brother. He is the legit heir, and we are the MacArthur's, if you will. We are those who have now been brought in, adopted children, and yet that nuance in which we have also been birthed of God, possessing God's DNA, born again, regenerated, new nature, why? To be birthed into God's family. And God the Father has lavished his love upon you. And I realize that, that some of us, when we grew up, when you're listening to me right now, you, you grew up and, and this idea of a loving father is a little strange to you. Maybe some of you didn't even grow up with a father. My heart goes out to you. What a wonderful thing to have a picture of a loving father. That when we, when we start talking about the spirit testifying with our spirit that we're his children and that spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. Abba, Father, Daddy. You see, any guy just about can be a father. But it takes someone special to be a daddy. Because it's that daddy that has that relationship with the child. You know, back in the day when children were to be seen and not heard, it was always father, father. But you see, in our day in which we understand children have a place and, and we love our children, that relationship is so nurtured, at least in many cases, it is daddy. Because the father is nurturing. He loves his children. I love to watch Sam every now and then and how he loves on his kids. I love to see my son-in-law, Zach, and, and just how he, he dotes on his little children. And, and if Kate's over and our, the, my two grandchildren are there in our, our, our house, Zach, when he comes in, you know, he'll, he'll kiss his wife and you know, say, okay, Zach, enough of that, enough of that. And then he moves on into it with his kids. And he is just so excited to see his kids. When God... The father looks at you. He has the biggest grin from ear to ear, ear to ear that you could ever imagine. And he is so excited to be your daddy, to be your Abba, to be your father that loves you and is so excited to go through this life with you because he, in the person of his spirit, has taken up residence in you. And you are on an adventure. Now, let me just tell you, because I'm going to move on here. Let me just tell you a little bit about this adventure, and I'm going to take only five minutes because I'm going to get into it the next time that I preach on this. Next week is going to be uh, Reformation Sunday, and then the week after that, we're going to take up on this idea. Many of us have heard so much about the glory of God. Westminster Confession, which is the purpose of chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I had to memorize that. As the, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God, to glorify God. This is all to glorify God. This is to glorify God. We bring glory to Jesus. We reflect his glory. And after a while, you begin wondering, well, what is all of this about glory? What is glory? I mean, if you were to close your eyes right now and picture glory, what would you see in your mind? Some of you would get really spiritual and say, I see Jesus. Well, that's good. That's great. 
That's good. That's good. Yeah, precious moment answer. I mean, there's truth in that, and we're going to see that as we unravel this concept. But you see, as children of God burst with the DNA of our Heavenly Father, we now reflect Him. Your entire life, the entire purpose of God's creation is for mankind to reflect His glory and to deflect the praise or glory of man. Now, here's what I mean by that. We have this privilege of being conformed more and more into the image of Christ and reflecting God. And by that, we are honoring and praising him. We get to participate, Peter says, in the divine nature. That doesn't mean that we become gods one day. The, the Mormons have really missed it on this point. You know, we're not going to one day have our own universe and, and birth spiritual children, blah, 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 blah. No, that is God's way. There is one God, church, one God, and we have the privilege of having that DNA, if you will, in us and birthed as his children, reflect his glory and participate in his, and here's what the theologians call it, his communicable attributes. Don't ask me to spell that. A communicable attributes. That means the attributes of God that he can communicate or, or have us as his creation participate in. Let me give you an example of a non-communicable attribute, his omnipresence. You will never be able to be everywhere at the same time. That belongs to God and God alone. Satan can't do it. The angels can't do it. And try as hard as you may, you will never be able to do it. But he can. Because he's God. But guess what he gets to birth in you through his DNA? That is his love. That is his self-control. That is his patience. And if you're one like me, at least when I was younger, just getting impatient with people all the time. I heard it said, I had to laugh, but I realized how true it was. There's no such thing as annoying people, but only annoyed people. Okay, you write that one, that's set it aside for later. But we can get frustrated in situations. And what God really needs to do is not change that person who's annoying you, but to change you. To change you. And you get to reflect him. Why? Because God doesn't stand up there with his arms crossed wondering, when will Mike Curtis ever get it together? Man. Wow, I just try every day to get his attention and say, Mike, look at me. Mike, why are you worrying? Can't you just trust me, Mike? And we can feel that this God in heaven is frustrated with us, like all the time. Can I just assure you that is not the case? But God is so patient and tender, like one leading a child by the hand. That's what Isaiah tells us. And he is so gracious and so patient with us. And when we start reflecting Jesus, God, more and more, we do it not just with our character, we do it with our skills and talents that he's given us, with the spiritual gifts, and I purposely separate those, with our spiritual gifts. We do it when we are at work, 
with our skills. We do it with our wealth. We do it with every facet of our lives, everything, every resource that he has given us. We seek to reflect God. This is our all-consuming purpose in life. You see, God could have given this privilege to angels, but he did not. And there is something vastly different about mankind and angels. Number one, angels cannot be redeemed. Satan and his followers never have the chance to be redeemed. But you do. You were made in his image. You see, for this purpose, that God would rescue you and place his spirit in you, his spiritual DNA in you, that you would reflect him more and more as a ransomed one, as one rescued from the world and sin and death, to be able to see this transformation take place in your life so that you no longer reflect darkness but light. This truly glorifies and honors God. And he does it all because of the spirit of God in you. That's what this chapter is all about. The Spirit of God in you, birthing these awesome things so that when people see Jesus in you and they praise you, wow, Mike, you're actually loving. <laughs> okay, I, I take that as a compliment. Thank you. Okay. Um, instead of just saying, oh, no, 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 it's, it, it's not me. It has nothing to do with me. Well, that's false humility. It really does have to do with you, but it is Christ shining through you. And you see, when you can receive a compliment well, not so that you are lifted up, so that Christ is truly lifted up, you begin to grasp this concept of what it means to, and I'm going to word it this way, to deflect men's praise. Why? Because when people see Jesus in you, you don't say, yeah, thanks, I... I I really did believe in myself, you know, in all of this worldly garbage that they say. You know what? That was not the case a year ago, and Jesus has been transforming. And I know I've got a lot to grow in, but thank you for seeing that. And that is what Christ has done in me. You know, I really admire Tim Tebow. When he got praise, he knew how to distribute that praise properly to his teammates. He could not have done it without them. Guess what? You couldn't have done it without Christ. You couldn't have. Because it's the Spirit of God, by the Spirit, putting to death the misdeeds of the body. And so Christ living in you, transforming you, reflecting your glory, any praise you receive, it's deflected to God himself. This is the grand purpose of why you are even here. It is not to earn a lot of money so that one day, what? What? You get to leave it all behind? That's right. You get to leave it all behind, church. You can leave it to your children. Great. I hope to be able to leave an inheritance to my children, but I can't take it with me. What are we, what are we pressing into? What is that, ex, uh, that, that, that ulterior goal that you have? There is only one, and that is to reflect the glory of God. Now, we're going to get into this next week. But my question that I want to ask you this morning is, 
when Jesus, when you received Jesus and he came into your life in the person of the Spirit, is Jesus sticking out of you? Are you reflecting the glory of God as a child of God with his DNA? Do you understand this amazing deposit of God in you? So that when you walk about in life, you are constantly reminded God lives in me. And so I will live for him. Can you stand with me, church? Father, what a precious thing it is to to know you. To have our wills broken and submitted to you. So that the cry of our heart is not, God, can you do this and give me this? But, God, may your will be done in my life. May my will bend to your will. And where it's not in alignment, align it. Let me reflect you, Jesus, please. Reveal your glory in me, God. In every aspect of my life. Because this life, God, is not about me. No, it's not. It is all about you. So, Jesus, thank you that you rescued me. Spirit of God, thank you that you birthed in me a new nature, life itself. And God, I pray collectively for us, would you then by your Spirit live through us? Would you live this grand life that you have prepared in advance and all of these good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do? May we walk in them by your Spirit, God. What an adventure this is. And so, God, we yield to your plan and your program and your will. You are good. And we look forward to tomorrow because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have an absolutely awesome, awesome, adventurous week in Christ. Amen. Amen.